Our comeback worship series concludes today with one of the greatest comeback figures in the Gospels. And second only to Paul, the least likely person in the New Testament you would expect to become a biblical hero. The story of Peter is littered with more evidence of his flaws than of his faithfulness. He was hot-headed and reckless and weak in faith. At one point, Jesus even took one look at him eye to eye and told him to get behind me, Satan. Not exactly the stuff of Christian legend. But the Bible points out these flaws not to show us how bad Peter was, but to show us how powerful God's grace is. And by the end of this story, we can discover that if God can use someone like Peter to be the very foundation of the church itself, then God can use us too. In John's Gospel, the first thing we learn about Peter is his name. He was born Simon ben Jonah, or son of Jonah. His birth name, Simon, was derived from the Hebrew word Shema, meaning to hear. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. But in the decades leading up to the time of Jesus, that popular name, Simon, became associated with the Jewish rebels who sought to overthrow the oppressive regime of the Seleucid dynasty. I mean, the leader of the rebellion was Simon Maccabeus. Now, while we can't know for sure whether old man Jonah decided to name his boy Simon after that great rebel leader, we can imagine what his name must have evoked for everyone who heard his name. And true to his name, Simon was every bit the rebel Rash, riled up, and ready to overthrow Rome. Well, in John chapter 1, Simon's brother Andrew met Jesus, and he was so overtaken with excitement that he went to his brother Simon and said, We have met the Messiah. Come and see. So Simon followed him. Andrew introduced him to Jesus. And then the unusual happened. Jesus and Simon looked at each other eye to eye, and Jesus said something astonishing. You are no longer Simon. Your name is Cephas. In Greek, the word was Petra, or Peter, which means rock. Simon the rebel became Peter the rock. Now, we're not told what Peter's reaction was, but we can imagine how hard that was for him and his friends to believe. A rock, Jesus, really? A rock is steady, stable, reliable. Jesus, are you sure you got the right guy? You're going to build an institution on the most anti-institutional guy around? You're going to create a foundation with someone who is about as shaky and unsteady as they come? Yep, that's exactly what Jesus did. And here's why. God sees us, not just for who we are, but for who we can become. Somewhere beneath that imperfect, mistake-prone persona, God saw a saint. God saw a comeback story, just like God sees in you. Michelangelo was once asked how he was able to sculpt such marvelous masterpieces out of such raw and unfinished stone. His answer was simple. He said he saw the finished masterpiece inside the stone, and gradually removed anything on the surface that didn't belong. God sees you 
for who you can become. Mount Rushmore is one of the great national treasures of our country. The images of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln have endured for 80 years since sculptor Gutzon Borglum completed it in 1941. But what you may not know is that Rushmore is not yet finished. Borglum said these words, quote, I am allowing an extra three inches on all the features of the various presidents in order to provide stone for the wear and tear of the elements, which cuts the granite down one inch every 100,000 years. Three inches, he said, would require 300,000 years to bring the work down to the point what I would like to finish it. In other words, the work will not be done for another 300,000 years as it should be. Just like Mount Rushmore. Jesus saw in Peter an unfinished work that over time could be carved into a masterpiece. Peter didn't see it and would spend the next three and a half years with Jesus proving just how he was much more like Simon the Rebel than Peter the Rock. But Jesus saw him for what he could become and never gave up on him. None of us like to admit our flaws and our imperfections in public but we all know in private we are very hard on ourselves and we know just how much we are like Simon Peter. We may not have ever walked on water, but we sure know what it's like to sink and feel like we are much too weak in our faith. We may not have ever cut off someone's ear like Peter did, but we sure know what it feels like to lose control of our emotions, to, to snap at someone in anger and to feel consumed by revenge. We may not have ever denied our faith in Jesus three times in a courtyard at night, but we've all heard the rooster crow, pointing out when we have not put God first when it mattered the most. But even through it all, God still sees you for who you can become and is relentless at helping you get there. You know what? In Methodist terms, we call this going on to perfection. In fact, the concept of going on to perfection is an important hallmark to being United Methodist. In 1790, John Wesley wrote a letter to a friend named Robert Carr Brackenberry. Wesley, at that point, was elderly and tired and approaching the end of his life. And as he looked back on everything his Methodist movement had experienced and achieved, he felt like there was one reason one reason alone why God had created the Methodist movement to begin with. It was the doctrine of Christian perfection, he said. The belief that God sees us for what we can become and will never stop working to make us more and more like Jesus. So in that letter to Mr. Brackenberry, Wesley wrote these words. I am glad that our mutual friend has more light with regard to full sanctification this is the grand doctrine which God has lodged with the people called Methodist, and it is chiefly for the sake of teaching this doctrine that God has raised us up. In other words, Wesley believed until the day he died that the reason Methodists were on earth was to preach that God is making us perfect. Of all that we believe as United Methodist Christians, 
the most important, the most distinctive part of our faith is that God sees us for who we can become and is relentless in helping us get there. You know, it's, it's why he insisted that every Methodist who wants to become a pastor be asked three questions. The very questions that, that I and every other Methodist clergy had to answer when we were ordained. Number one, are you going on to perfection? Number two, do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? And number three, are you earnestly striving after it? Now notice in the way that question is worded, Christian perfection does not mean that we will become flawless or sinless or morally faultless. It is about God making us more perfect in love, such that every day we can make the conscious effort to love God more than we did yesterday and to love others more than we did before. And that's why. At the end of John's Gospel, in today's scripture reading, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks him three times this very question, Peter, do you love me? And three times Jesus followed up with the words, then feed my sheep and feed my lambs. In other words, Peter, love others. For Jesus, the choice to love God and to love others is the only thing that matters. And and learning to grow in that capacity to love is a lifelong process that will be perfected in this life. So here's the thing. Now, if we look back at the life of Peter, we we can now see evidence of God at work. When Peter tried to walk on water and he began to sink, we might see it as failure, but Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach Peter how to have a strong faith. When Peter committed an act of violence against that Roman soldier, Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach Peter the way of peace. And when Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus made sure that the last thing he heard in his soul was not the crow of a rooster, but the voice of forgiveness from Jesus. Jesus never gave up on Peter. And God sees you for who you can become and will be relentless in helping you get there. By the way, if you've been keeping count... I've said that phrase seven times in today's sermon. Communications experts tell us that it takes hearing a message seven times before it starts to sink in. The good news is that God tells us this message every single moment, moving us toward perfection and love. And all you have to do is hear it and respond. How about at the start of each day, you look yourself in the mirror and say, God, I know how messed up my life is. I am not perfect. I I have my flaws and my insecurities, and I try to compensate for them by proving to others how flawless I want them to think I am. But I'm not good at pretending, and I am tired. So thank you, God, for seeing me more for what I can become. Show me today to do the only thing that matters. Show me to love you more with everything I got. And show me how to love other people, to feed your lambs and tend your sheep, and to love all people with everything I have. I believe, God, that you are moving me toward perfection in love, and I will do my best to be a person of love today. Let us pray. God, we are unfinished works, covered with flaws, concealing your deep image within us. 
Yet we can see now in retrospect the evidence of how you have been relentlessly at work to show us the better way, the way of love. May we hear your Spirit prod us with the question of whether we love you and love others. And may answering yes be our number one goal each and every day. For amid the chaos of daily living, it is the only thing we can control and the only thing that matters. Thank you for seeing in us what we can become. In Jesus' name, amen.